Welcome to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. In this episode, I speak with three long-term Mar alumni, Rich, Hank, and David. Between the three of them, they've been part of the Mar community for several decades. We'll start this episode off by hearing short versions of each of their stories and how they ended up at Mar. We'll start with Rich, and then we'll hear from Hank and David. Okay, my name's Rich Beverly. Uh, I believe it was 2002 that I came here. Um, that was It was an intervention. I'd been out on a uh, business trip to Birmingham three days, and I actually wasn't in Birmingham. I was uh, stayed in Atlanta and party for three days. My wife, growing up in the Greek church, um, one of her friends growing up was uh, one of my dealers. So I'd gone over there, and uh, so she had all kinds of friends that were coming over, and I was out of my mind drunk. We were, <clears throat> anyway, I, I must have slipped off with one of her friends. So she threatened to call my wife and tell her that I was out of control. And so I, I ran home and got under the house and, and tore out all the phones, unplugged everything. This is before cell phones. And uh, so she couldn't get that call. I was out of my head. So she couldn't figure out why, what's wrong with our phones. And I'm like, I have no idea. She said, well, you need to, you know, if you want to stay here without Stephen and me, you're going to have to go and have an interview with where Bill Barnes is recommending. So I'm like, okay, I'm out of here. So I take off. I go straight to Mar and just uh, – I was escaping. I didn't ever want to talk. I knew the shit was going to hit the fan. I knew that Maria was going to call Marianne and tell her the whole thing. So I was like, uh, this was really peaceful for me here. I was like, well, nobody can get me here. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping that there wouldn't be any way. And I heard that she couldn't talk to me for 30 days. I was like, oh, yeah. And so I came over. I got all dressed up in my suit and brought my tennis racket and came over here thinking I was going to have some fun and uh, met, I guess my first person I met was uh, Doug, Doug Brush at the meeting. I, I stepped into, I came right into a meeting and Art Sutherland was there and Doug and <clears throat> my roommates. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't get a chance to go back home. I just uh, came right in and my ex-wife, Marianne, she brought all my stuff over and, called my boss said i'm not coming to work for 30 days at least so that's kind of how it happened one of my favorite memories i was sitting at the uh the lake and it was one of my first lake meetings we were sitting around the the log it was no fire going and came around to me it was the first time i think doug had ever really talked to me and i shared he said your father's an alcoholic isn't he and I'm like, no. I said, my dad's a preacher. He goes, oh my God, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk later. <laughs> and I'll never forget him saying that to me. And he, he later he did. He said, well, your dad gave it all at the office. He didn't have anything left for you, did he? When he got home, he needed from you what you needed from him, and that's that frustrated you. So you always searching it out. And I forget him having that conversation for me, uh, but it's uh, it stuck with me. Wow. I forgave my dad, too, <clears throat> because of that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that was a big moment for me. I mean, what I learned here in the groups and just being around the men was, uh, I mean, I was always, I mean, still self-centered, but I was really self-centered and egotistical. But when I got here, Doug was going to make sure that he was going to make sure that I saw how egotistical and, and I need some humbling. Mm-hmm. And so he gave that to me here. And I... You know, it was I was a hard case, and it took me. You know, it didn't happen here, but I always uh, I, I learned the um, the tools to use, and I could hear him, his voice going, you know, Rich, turn it off, turn the I'm available off, because that was he said the way I walked around to women. It was like I'm available, oh. and uh, so you know I was able to turn that off. And, and now I'm able to have relationships with women without trying to, you know, see past uh, just being a friend. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's been valuable in my life. And, and actually, I think that's what attracted to my wife, my current wife, to me is because I wasn't 
um, looking. At mm-hmm. We just were friends. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, yeah. So it was that was just that was my biggest issue when I got here, and one of many. <laughs> but that was a big one. Uh huh. That kept keeping me coming back to being sick. You're you're accountable here pretty much twenty four seven. You know they come guys come and check on you. You're I guess they call them the room managers. Um, you always felt like you always um, you always in meetings together. It's a family. You're forced in these other places. You don't. You you come in. You go to groups. You go home. You go to work. Whatever. Um, but this one, I felt like I really is for the first time. I grew up here. I got you know I was forced to have my family here and have family week and my mom and I I was 40 at the time or 42 and we had never hugged it was never it was in Mar in the family group in front of about 50 people that they said you two need to hug oh my god was that a hard thing to do uh so today we still hug now you know so it's been a good it's been a good journey that way but uh, even though I didn't stay sober, I stayed sober a long time. Um, and then I got, you know, back into the work field and, you know, not taking care of my business and thinking I could handle it on my own. And next thing I know, I think, oh, I'll just, you know, try a little experiment. It never works. So, um, but luckily for me, <clears throat> um, I don't, the way I drink and drug, I can't stay out very long. And I've got a lot of, people in my life that pull me back in pretty quick because I'm accountable to a lot of people. And so my relapses got shorter and shorter to where they were one day in two years and just stupid stuff. And a little quick thing that happened to me on this last last run, I was in an AA meeting. I came back and I'd been out for one day. My wife came home and I sat in this group and I was sharing and there was all these old timers in it. And I said, well, you know, I've never, I'm, I'm a good guy. I'm a good provider. I said, I, you know, I, I went out one night. I said, you know, um, I don't ever hurt anybody but myself. I said, I don't, you know, I, I, said, I understand. But I said, it's not like I'm hurting people. Oh, my God. Tom, Dick, and Pete, these three guys, I'll never forget this one guy, you know, Dick saying, Rich, he said, guys like you, make this program look bad. He said, why don't you find another group that might work for you? He said, because AA obviously is not working. And he said, you you make it hard on these newcomers because you you go out, you come back, you don't have the bad consequences, and you're talking not like you're talking. He said, my advice is you is to find another group. Oh, my God. I've been fired from AA. I've never had a worse feeling in my life. My blood pressure shot up, and I was like, and then the other two guys fed off of that. And then by the time you could have heard a pin drop in that meeting. And uh, I left, and I went home to my wife, and I said, well, I said, uh, if I didn't get it today, I won't ever get it. I said, because, you know, I never thought about how selfish my position on drinking was because I really never thought I was hurting anybody. I said, today I know. Uh, and said, so I said, and I haven't thought it's been, it's been a miracle since then. And, um, uh, but, but that was what it took. Mm-hmm. It took those three guys. AA is not for me. Find something that works for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm Hank Dallum. Um, I came here in on July 8th of 2002 and Rich had met him in one of the spiritual life groups um, that we had on Thursday, I guess, with Yule, and um, met Rich and then asked him to be my sponsor. So Rich was actually my sponsor. So what finally got me here was um, when the um, investigator from the Board of Dentistry and the DEA showed up in my dental office and uh, and suggested I do something about my um, narcotic prescription um, <laughs> writing. Well, actually, I wasn't really writing. I was just ordering it from a wholesale house. But wow. uh, they got hold of all the got hold of the records and uh, came to my office with uh, uh, with their guns and badges and went back in there. We went back to the room where I see uh, patients for consultation. 
And um, so, you know, and of course, before I went in there with them, I was a little nervous and anxious. So I did my thing and took a few pills and went to meet with them and talk with them. And they had a, well, it was about a half inch to an inch thing of, uh, of uh, computer paper with all of my records of the th stuff that I'd been ordering for, Lord, 10 years uh, in there. And so, uh, um, so they asked me, they said, can, you know, can we see the records of these, of where you used all of these, you know, um, pills? And I said, well, you can, but there's nothing on there. And I said, they were all for me. And so they said, well, you might have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you might be right. So, <clears throat> so anyway, they suggested I, I go, and that was um, that was the 1st of July. And okay. Then, and then I, then I came here. I didn't come here because of the uh, 4th of July. I didn't come here immediately, but showed up Monday morning at um, like 9.30 in the morning. And just driving in here brings back the – cold chills to come do this in, 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 in a bad in and in a very good way though yeah. really um, in a in a um, Those places homecoming saved our lives. yeah I did yeah. in a homecoming type way because um, this is home and I think that's what um, David and, and was talking about is that it's back when we were here it was um, it really was family because you know like Rich was saying our um Art was uh, his sponsor, and Rich was my sponsor, and so Art was my grand sponsor, and so it was just all one big tight, tight group. I um, came from uh, Kentucky, so I'm not originally from here, and um, but I remember having to when I was told that I should come down here um, that uh, it was it was a lot of fear, it was a lot of relief, um, probably more relief than anything else. Um, but I remember uh, driving down here. I, I had been in, uh, this would have been my third treatment. I had been in um, a 28-day program uh, in 85 and then um, made it um, about a year or two before I drank again. And then the second one was an uh, inpatient um, psychiatric wing of the hospital. And um, so, you know, I... Figured coming down here, I already had all the prerequisites and the training, and this was going to be a piece of cake. You know, I just coast right, coast right through, and and be a you know compliant guy. And I remember um, one of the first times Doug Brush, I met Doug Brush. He looked at me in his Doug Brush look and raised his eyebrows and his head and said. <laughs> Ah, uh, you're one of those nice guys. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, I got right. it made. <laughs> I got him conned too. You know, little did I know that was a diagnostic term. <laughs> and uh, but just you know, I when I came down here, I spent the night. Um, Sunday, came down here on a Sunday because I had to be here Monday morning and spent the night across the street at the, well, it's a senior citizen home now, but it was a hotel back then. And, um, you know, before I um, um, came over, came over across the street, then, you know, that morning I went to the dumpster with and emptied the trunk of my car with the beer cans and the stuff that was back in there and then drove, came over here across the street. And I just remember a, a feeling of relief and a lot of and fear because I didn't know what was going on and I was just glad I was leaving all of my mess back in Kentucky mm -hmm. for the time being. Little did I know that it would come back. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Wow, did it. <laughs> I lived it with him. Okay. Yeah. Can, you, can we go back there? Word of, well, word. here it is. You, you, your son, you've just paid for your uh, you know, two years worth of orthodontic treatment, and then your orthodontic disappears with the money, no treatment. Yeah. Okay, so you were the orthodontist in that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. that scenario? Some of, the, some of the parents were narrow-minded and called that fraud. <laughs> <laughs> so. Tell them about the, uh, the court date. <laughs> Oh boy! Well, that gives me the chills thinking about let, what let, you went through. Let's just say I have, in, in my experiences, um, I have had um, a criminal attorney, a divorce attorney, 
a bankruptcy attorney, a attorney attorney to go before the board of dentistry, a, a tax attorney. I think I've had every attorney that there that there is. But anyway, I had some financial uh, issues, like uh, close to a million dollars in debt, um, and running my practice into the ground, and um, so I had to declare bankruptcy. And um, all of this going on, I was just hated at home. Right? It was just a very, very unpleasant environment at home. Um, and so, uh, but one of the things about bankruptcy is you have to list all your creditors. And some of the creditors were patients that I had, um, that had either prepaid for their treatment or were ahead of their treatment and I hadn't finished it yet. So um, they were all listed as creditors. And so um, my um, creditor sheet was rather long. And so I said, okay, so I drove up to uh, up to Paducah from uh, from here. So I was in the federal courthouse and was just talking to my attorney nonchalantly. And we turned the corner and the court, the room that we had, the courtroom we were in was way down the hall and lining the hall were about 40 of my patients parents or grandparents um, on both sides of the hall. It was like uh, running a gauntlet. They were there because they had a right to um, to ask me questions or to confront me or whatever um, during wow. that time. And uh, so, and they had all gotten together and um, had a class action suit against me um, for, uh, for fraud. And so, uh, that charge went before the dental board, and I had to go answer that. But anyway, I was there wasn't any fraud because there was never any intent. But wow. that was one of the situations. Talk about wreckage of the past. Yeah, lots of lots of wreckage. So, and you didn't you didn't drink through all that period? No, um, I was still doing urine screens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so sometimes that was honestly sometimes that was what kept me yeah from and and plus i was i was homeless i had been kicked out of the house had no place to no place to go after you know pulling the stunts i did in my hometown um you know i was not welcome back and it was not <laughs> not you, safe for you me were to go back tuesday morning for 650 an hour that's right uh, absolutely for that. three years <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah that was that was part of, i had um lost my license and wasn't practicing for three years um i was suspended from kentucky and then i didn't have a georgia license so while i was down here um i threw the um the work thing at, at Mar, whatever it's called. Work phase. Work phase, yeah, the work phase. I had to get a job in it. So it was at Tuesday morning retail store and starting out at six fifty an hour stocking shelves. But I graduated up in the last um, six or nine months. I was managing. They were going to fly me to uh, Dallas, Texas, which um, uh, to go to managerial school. It was a week thing to learn all the stuff about you know, the two, the corporate world of Tuesday morning. <laughs> and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. You know, I'm at Mar and they're offering to fly me to Texas. And, and, um, uh, the dentist would go to, we have a, um, group on Wednesday night, um, that, uh, it's the, um, the dental recovery network and, um, everybody that's on consent orders or been in trouble with the board of dentistry goes to. And even though I wasn't practicing, I was, you know, a, dentist and so while i was here they uh i went to that group and jerry groper i mentioned earlier i went to that group and you know i was all proud and happy and making an announcement i said yeah i'm gonna you know go to uh, dallas texas and he looked at me he goes what in the world do you <laughs> think you're doing that are you ever going to get back into dentistry and i said well yeah i, I plan on it and he said well what are you doing doing that and so um <laughs> that was three years into it but um so anyway that sort of precipitated my well maybe i should look into getting back into into dentistry so i did after that and then started back actually started in back in orthodontics in 2005. i was and and you kind of had the structure of mar all through that and the I network had, to get you through all those emotional it, ups and downs. exactly and that's you know the the bankruptcy thing and and dealing with uh with the kentucky board of dentistry and all of those issues was why i was here in mar for 17 
months mm -hmm. was for the for the support. And then once I got out and um, you know started practicing in 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 '05, then I was still in '04 and '05 still at Rich's house. And so there was support there throughout the whole that whole transition mm -hmm. part. And then on Wednesday night, uh, the the um, group um i still go to that every wednesday night so that's been consistent for the last 17 years david Sonkrant um came through mar was it january of 90 um went through treatment december of 89 um 22 years old got kicked out of the navy um not dishonorable, but other than, um, all revolved around drinking. All the problems I had the two and a half years I was in the service was, uh, every problem was 100% either drugs or alcohol. Um, the last straw was a weekend in Washington, D.C., um, watching some young ladies come into a bar, leave their purses behind the bar, and I stole them, or I didn't steal the purses, just the wallets, and got caught. I was so drunk, I don't remember going into the bathroom stall, locking myself in there, going through their wallets, throwing away all their credit cards, and just getting the cash. As two police officers are watching me on each side of the, you know, other sides of the stall. So anyway, got arrested, <clears throat> got kicked out, uh, came home got a final DUI uh, two weeks after getting home. Um, so ended up at a treatment center three or four days in. It was right before Christmas um, of 89. I can't remember. It was like 10 degrees out. Anyway, long story short, pipes burst. We had to go home. I'm in treatment three days, four days, something like that. Parents are out of town. I'm all by myself. Screw it. And I go drinking, 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 and knock on the door at the hotel I was staying at uh, from one of the guys who was a patient. One of the agreements was we were all supposed to stay in touch with each other, and of course I didn't. And I just, you know, I was, I was just done. And anyway, come to the door, <clears throat> make me go to a meeting, long story short. I picked up my first white chip on the 25th of December and went back to treatment on the 26th. And here we are. So the 26th, that was Mar? No, 26th was back to the 30-day treatment, which, what was the name of that place? It was uh, First Step was okay. the name of the place. And it was up off of somewhere up in Kennesaw. Mar had a relationship with. After my 30 days... I was sober 30 days. I wasn't, I had no intentions of staying sober. <laughs> a young man, a young man, an older man comes to visit me that first step on a Friday afternoon. Chuck McGee was his name, worked for Mar, he was a house manager. <clears throat> and he interviews me because I literally have nowhere to go. My parents had said, when you're done, you know. So Chuck meets with me, he goes, yeah, you're appropriate and this and that. And I said, oh, good. I said, well, I said, I'll go home, I'll get my stuff, I'll be be there first thing Monday morning. And he looked at me and he goes, oh no, he goes, I leave in 30 minutes. He goes, I got one more person to interview. If you don't come with me, you're not coming. So, thought about it. I mean, my plan was to go home, get drunk over the weekend and go tomorrow on Monday. <laughs> well, he didn't give me that opportunity. So, got dragged and, not dragged, but encouraged to come and I was at Mar uh, that evening. All right. And the rest is history. Yeah, we won't go into <laughs> We won't go into the next year and a half, but didn't I hear a story about you putting th through somebody through a wall? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Do you want me to share that one now? Yeah. Okay. So, we'll make sure Doug Absolutely. Brush listens to this one because he always loves sharing this. Um, I had the I, I was fortunate enough. I served on Mars board for a couple of years. Um and uh, when Doug would introduce me to new guys when they would come in, he goes, oh, 
you got to meet Dave. He's got so-and-so number of years sober, and he's been around and a board member and this and that. He goes, only person to ever be on our board to get kicked out of Mar twice and never drank to get kicked out of Mar. So the first and that's one, you that was me. <laughs> the first one was job related. You know, I was at Mar for thirty days, forty five days. Uh, quit a job, didn't tell anybody. Hid in the closet at the apartment and got <laughs> caught about a week and a half later by the house manager. They knew the whole time that I didn't have a job because the like ET. <laughs> they made me go to work at a nursing home. So I was changing bedpans and giving old men showers. Well, it lasted for about four days. But the <laughs> nursing home was right next door to the men's center. Um, so anyway, I quit the job. Well, they anyway, I was hiding in the closet. Chuck would come and check the apartment every day at 9.05, every day. I could set my watch by. Well, he came in, 9.05, about a week and a half in, and he opened the closet where I was hiding and just poked his head in. Songkrat? Why don't you meet me in the office in 15 minutes? <laughs> so, got down there, and he and Doug discharged me and sent me to Penfield. And went to Penfield. Uh, back then, it was a 12-week program. Uh, got done. Doug said, are you ready? I said, yes, I'm ready. So he let me come back. And um, was back at Mar for maybe a month. And... In the apartment one night, getting ready for, we were all going to a um, meeting together and had our community meal. Well, my job was to clean. Well, the guy in the apartment next door, younger than me, decided that I wasn't doing it fast enough. And so this argument ensued, and I finally, I grabbed him by the arm. I'm like, you don't even live in this apartment. So I walk him to the front door. <clears throat> I open the front door. Was planning to just, you know, push him out the front door. And I opened the door, and as soon as I did, he grabbed it and he slammed it shut. So I picked him up and I threw him through the wall <laughs> in the apartment. <laughs> um, at eight thirty in the morning, I was discharged the second time. <laughs> um, but they, you didn't drink. Didn't drink. They sent me to uh, a halfway house in Smyrna. Um, was there for about six months um got a job finally uh was working consistently but i was talking to doug doug we'd kind of become friends and or i thought we had and i would talk to him once a week and anyway about six weeks in or six months in i was telling him i'm like you know this guy this halfway house i'm making i was working at chick-fil-a i'm making about 250 bucks a week they're taking 275 dollars every week at the halfway house so i'm owing them money but I want to go to college, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. So I'm talking to Doug one day and mentioned all this to him. Two weeks go by. Next time I talk to Doug, he goes, well, he goes, I called the preacher at your church. He goes, I called your sponsor. He was asking me all these questions when we were on the phone earlier. Well, he went behind my back and checked me out. To make sure, sure, yeah. Yeah. Does he think he is? Does he think I would lie about something like that? (laughs) So anyway, he tells me, he goes, I checked this and this and this. And he goes, you're honest. He goes, you got a sponsor. You're doing this and that. He goes, I'll let you come back tomorrow. He goes, under two conditions. He goes, one, you continue your job, you know, stay employed. And two, you go to college. He goes, the second you withdraw from college or graduate, he goes, you leave. And I came back, what, about a year and a half, two years. Uh, my first two years in college was at Mar. Um, so that's kind of that story. Doug <laughs> loves sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I, I probably – that's one of the reasons I haven't been hanging around the men's center a lot the uh-huh. last couple of months because – Every new patient has to be told that. <laughs> he told it to me a few a, a few weeks ago. I'm sure. <laughs> but it's but it it's is a a, it, it's a good story. It's, a good story. it's yeah. powerful, and you know, obviously, I had a lot of anger management issues. I still have temper issues on occasion, but even through that process, when I came back tomorrow the last time, and was back almost two years, Doug. Um, I was trying to think of the other guy. He doesn't work here anymore. Uh, there was another counselor that uh, did in in house meetings, but would teach me anger management. Mm-hmm. 
tactics. There were four trees behind the apartments that got cut down <laughs> because I had an ax in the house. And, and, and my anger would get such that my adrenaline would start, and I would have to do something. And I'd go out with an ax and just chop on some wood for about 20 minutes. Is that one of the techniques? That was, that was one. John, John Grant, that was his name. John Grant told me to do that. And it worked because I'd go yeah. chop on wood for 15, yeah. 20 minutes. I'd be sore as hell and tired. And it's like, okay, time to go to bed. Just think of all the firewood you have. Yeah. We didn't have fireplaces. No. The Paul Bunyan method. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah. But, the, the thing about the unique thing about Mars is that it was so much more than just a treatment center. I mean, you, you come and you get the treatment and you get the groups and you do all that kind of stuff, but you get the residential part where you have to learn to live with these guys, these grown men that <laughs> act like three-year-olds, you know, that, that, that come in or these, as Doug Brush would say, your gifts. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're, and, and we are, we're just, you know, we're grown-ups and, grown-up babies and mm -hmm. you know going going on sunday to shop at kroger with uh four grown men pushing mm -hmm. a cart with with food stamps so it's, um, <laughs> it's very hum very oh, humble i got in trouble for making a man cry because he didn't wash his dishes and i jumped on him about it i raised my voice and he started crying i was like oh my god i'm sorry i just, just always leave your dishes there and i'm not going to wash them anymore but you guys did groups and stuff here at mar right yeah yeah i'm guessing I, my experience was and i'm guessing yours is the same the therapy really took place after you left here and oh, went yeah. back to the apartment oh yeah that's oh, where the real yeah, that's therapy where you was. had to deal with all those idiots <laughs> exactly not that i was one <laughs> we, we all were so. it was it was amazing the, the 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 variety of people they put you in with i was when i first got there i was with i was with a, a 20 20 year old and he was a medical student and he was the angriest person i've ever met in my in my entire life and um then i met with had a, one was a school teacher one was an anesthesiologist and you know, and like I said, I'd been here for 17 months, so I had so many roommates, and it was just, it was just crazy. But living with these guys and having to, like what Rich says, you know, they encourage your carefrontations. <laughs> carefrontations. <laughs> Instead of a confrontation. I got in trouble you know. for that, yeah. yeah. And, you, you know, you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to do is, is, uh, you know, get along with people because for so long, all we did was, you know, we isolated. And so they throw you into this milieu and you're just, you're just swimming upstream. It would make me feel a lot better about the situation if you wash the dishes next time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not, you loser. <laughs> when, when you don't wash the dishes, I feel. Right. <laughs> angry that's the word of the day on the feeling wheel yeah in this section all three guests remember their interactions and in groups with mars founder donnie brown i didn't meet donnie personally my first year and a half of mar um you know even in the three-quarter house um i didn't meet donnie until the first time i ever went to a picnic and again briefly met him so that would have been around 92 and uh, then when I when I left Mar and was in college and volunteering, I had to I, I started volunteering in Donnie Brown's group on a Saturday morning, and I showed up again. Other than seeing him at a banquet or uh, the picnic, he has me introduce myself, and I do. I introduce myself and. Uh, Tell the group how much I appreciate Donnie Brown and what he did for me for you know all these you know couple of years now and Doug Brush and blah blah blah, and I get done and Donnie sits back and he looks and he goes, I don't know you you son of a bitch. <laughs> he goes, I don't know who the hell you are. He said, I I just heard your name today and agreed to let you sit into my group, and so here I was belittled and. You know, the group goes on. At the end of the group, Donnie comes running over to me and gives me a big bear hug. He goes, I love you, you son of a bitch. He goes, I just had to give you a hard time. That just kind of, in a mm -hmm. nutshell, gives you an idea of Donnie Brown. 
And uh, Donnie was a great guy. Loved every person in the room. Every group I ever was in. Tough as nails. I saw him make grown men cry. I saw him definitely make women cry. But he always ended the group with how much he loved the person, you know, positive advice. It never, I never saw him end a group, a therapeutic group, you know, with anybody leaving angry or upset or, but he'd get you there. Mm -hmm. He'd take that knife and twist it or that. And like I said, these two can tell you, but Hank could probably tell you more. It, again, one of the stories we talked about was the cookhouse up at the lake. And that was a Donnie Brown project that Hank and Roger, about, Roger was one. There was about five or six five of them yeah. that <laughs> built the cookhouse up there with their own bare hands, with no plans other than what Donnie had <laughs> in his head. And, and, and he really – We'd get up there on Wednesday morning before sunrise and have breakfast and then work till, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon or so um, uh, and uh, until Donnie ran out of things to tell us to do. <laughs> but it was it, it was great. But you talk about the groups. I, <clears throat> the first um, – the first week, the first ARP group that Donnie um, was the um, – uh, had I remember him coming in early, and I was back in the lounge. And Donnie's just bigger than life, just country as the day is long. And um, he comes, this guy comes walking in, and he's got these jeans on that are, you know, halfway up his ankles. And you know, he's hey y'all, how you doing? And so you know, I don't know him from Adam, and I start talking to him and trying to impress him. About who I was and, you know, the fact that I'm here, but I really don't belong here and I'm going to be okay and all this. So he just listens to me and looks at me and nods his head and all that. So we go into ARP and there he is leading the group. And uh, I thought, oh, man. One of, the, one of the groups that I was talking about um, – Something I don't remember what it was, and he kept asking me, "Well, how do you feel? How do you feel?" I was angry. He goes, "No, that's not how you feel. How do you feel?" I said, "Oh, I feel hurt. Damn right, you feel hurt. What I want you to do is stand up, and I want you to walk around this group, and I want you to tell everybody in here, you're Hank, and you feel hurt." And there was probably thirty-five or forty people in ARP at that time, and it was. Oh, I forgot about those moments. Oh, <laughs> you know, and that's the kind of thing. That, you know, those were harsh times and they were treated us with, you know, what we thought at the time was brutal. Um, but it was honest and it was what we needed um, in there and it was no no holes barred. I mean, you start um, spewing out the bull and they're on you in a heartbeat and it, you know, and not necessarily in a nice way, mm -hmm. but it's for your own good. But Donnie, we went up, we would go up there every Wednesday, and it was fun. I had a roommate, Roger. Roger was very um, intellectual. And um, so he and Kentucky, right? Yeah, oh, he's from North Carolina. North Carolina, that's right. Yeah. He's they have position. intellectuals in North Carolina? Well, he's one of the few. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because right. they don't have any in Kentucky. So, um, <laughs> but it was, it, Donnie just had this great vision and, and Roger worked with me also at, at Tuesday morning and we lived together we you know we everybody thought we were an item you know per <laughs> permanently married <laughs> I remember <you> <laughs> yeah and uh so anyway he and I would go would go up there like you know Wednesday morning and Donnie had this plan that he was gonna build this cookhouse and so he would get with Roger and and uh Roger would he and Roger would figure out what they – Donnie knew what he wanted to do. Roger would sort of figure out, you know, the way to do it, and I'd hammer the nail and and dig the hole. And so it, it was the greatest experience. Donnie Brown is, without a doubt, the um, most genuine human being I think I've ever, ever met. And I got to being up there every Wednesday, I got to see such a different side of him. And um, – and he is he is the kindest, gentlest old bear that you know you could you you, you would ever know. And, uh, and I was scared to death of him. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, oh. that's the thing. Everybody, you're I'm, scared to death of him. Mm -hmm. I'm a I'm a sarcastic jokester, and when I was around him, I was just like, I, I, yes, sir. I, I was 
straight, never. I was about as straight. It was hard as hell for me to do. But, yeah, I didn't cross any lines. I didn't want him ever getting on me for anything. Um, do you think that kind of that kind of ethic still is carried on here in terms of what you all described in terms of the firmness but gentle? Do you still see that kind of legacy being carried on here? I um, – I, you know, you said firmness but gentle, but it was more like – Firmness, but um, but love, but love. Mm. Yeah, there wasn't much gentle oh, okay. about it. No, there, 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 there was, was no nothing. Gentleness. There was no gentle no. about it. It was it was a two by four upside yeah. the head. Doug is more, yes. gentle. Okay, you know, rough but gentle. The good cop, oh, yes. bad cop. Yeah. They were the combination. <clears throat> the yeah. good cop, a good cop, bad uh, cop. Oh, oh yeah. The, the Mar wouldn't exist without the two of them working mm-hmm. together all yeah. those years back. It wouldn't have survived to be no. where it's at today. Yeah, it had to be Donnie Brown driven and Doug Brush embracing it yes. with, with the hug and, mm-hmm. and Donnie Brown slapping you upside the head. I mean, he did have that loving side to him, but his loving side and what we understand as a loving side were different. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he expressed himself in different ways. And, you know, like I said, in a group could get somebody upset, but he never left a group. Male, female, didn't matter without talking to them before they left, hugging them, you know, whatever it might be. Well, when you he had that side, but you very seldom saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when you first when you first come here and you get, you know, treated like that and, you know, you feel like you're being jumped on and, you know, you feel like you're being picked on and um, you know, you get very, very um um you get your back up and, and you know, you, you really think, you know, that, that he's out for you. But after being here a while, you see it flips that, that that's just care and love. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just natural tendency when you first get here to have that in your face type thing. You're not used to, I wasn't used to that. Well, we're all sensitive, you know, alcoholic drug addicts. And I think you always felt like he was trying to push a button is because we were in a safe place just to see how we would react yeah. if we if we would leave if we would be able to handle that kind of criticism because that's real world stuff um, and then he would show you the love and you go oh okay i got you in this final piece of the episode david rich and hank talk about their interactions with each other as alumni and how they've maintained their relationships it's got to be at least you guys have been around for how many years 17 in july so it's been at least 20 that we that we formed everything because we we had a, a functioning alumni association when these guys came through. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it just, like I said, those first couple of years were just hard. Yeah, uh, not a lot of involvement. But right around two thousand one, two thousand two, is when it really started to take off. And so I said, I mean, we used to do so many different things. We we try over the years. You know, we have ups and downs with attendance, but. For at least two years, maybe even three years, um, we used to do monthly, sometimes it was every other month, alumni dinners. <clears throat> but we always had groups of like 40 yeah. or more yeah. people would show yeah, up for dinner. Like yeah, so we used to do that. That was, like I said, the soccer. We just, there was so many people yeah. that were, you know, interested and wanted to get involved that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's, like I said, the softball. Um I'm trying to think what else. we did a bowling league, I think, too, one time. Yeah. yeah just all sorts of different things. It was like everything we did revolved around food. It, <laughs> when Rich was around, yeah. it definitely Yeah, did. well, I mean, we would meet at, at different restaurants and, and you know, wherever Rich would, you know, we could only go there once because we always raced. You know, everybody, I think everybody there thought we were a bunch of drunks because we were just laughing and carrying on. Uh, yeah, and they didn't the, make any money on us. We were like, yeah, we didn't, no yeah, drinks. No drinks. Yeah. yeah. Can y'all go somewhere else next time? I remember the one year, the one New Year's party. Um, I don't know. It was when he was sponsoring a bunch of the guys. And I don't know if Hank was living with them or was it three quarter, but because of all the people and all the food, I'm like, Rich, how did you do this? He goes, well, he goes, I got, I sponsor six or seven different people. This sponsor agreed to cut my grass. And this sponsor, whoever made the rule, I think you were sponsoring him. I mean, it was just like, but he never asked anybody. He just said, I have this need. And the people just jumped mm-hmm. in and did it. But a lot of the same people that would come to the crisp or the, the New Year's party would, played on the softball team mm-hmm. or, you know, 
only came around during the picnic or, you know, it was a wide variety of people. It wasn't just like his old roommates from right, the bar or something. Right, right, right. I guess the theme of all of this, what we're talking about, is just that's what's kept us sober. That's what's kept me sober for 17 years is these guys and the connections that we make. And, you know, when you're at Mar and one of the one of the things that most people hate hearing is just, you know, stay here until, you know, the miracle happens or, you know, just, just stick around. Don't be in such a hurry to leave. And it is so true that once you accept that, you know, you're here, they're here to help you and just stick around. Uh, and then you'll know when it's time to leave. I mean, it, it, and it's different for different people, but, um, you know, it's it's so many people that that I've run in contact with or that have relapsed right when they get out. And, you know, people try to get out and, you know, try to get it all back. And, you you know, you can't get it all back. You just got to start over. Um, and so many people are in such a hurry to get out of here and such a hurry to get back to whatever it is they think they're missing or, mm-hmm. or their life and all of that. But then you're not going to make it unless you get that foundation and you get the foundation at, at Mar, you get, you get the tools at Mar, you get the foundation, build the foundation by hanging around here and doing the three quarters and, you know, doing the alumni things and playing softball and, and doing the, doing all of that kind of stuff. And, um, you just, you know, that's a great way to practice living because all of that stuff's going to be out there. You know, the the hardest part is is when you leave here, mm-hmm. and unless you're prepared um, emotionally and are willing to ask for help and do all of the things that Mark teaches you to do, unless you're willing to do all that, it's just you're just not going to make it. Um, I don't think. You know, one of the nice byproducts of this whole thing is uh, when <laughs> Hank was living with me. My son, I guess he was 10. He was, was he 9 or 10 when you were He was probably 10 or 11. 10 or yeah. 11. They, they became roommates upstairs. And, and uh, he's, he's worked for National Security Agency. He's a, he's a uh, code breaker. And, but his, one of his best friends is Hank. And he is always asked how Hank's doing. Mm-hmm. Anytime he's in town, we always go out to eat. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a special relationship that, they found it. So one of the lowest points of his life, supposedly in his mind, was one of the higher points for my son because he was able to develop this relationship with this cool older dude, you know. So, and it's uh, it's always been a real blessing. And he wrote, and I've forgotten about this. He wrote you that letter. I still have it. You still towed it around with you, don't yeah, you? Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was. Uh, I can't remember what it said. It gets me chills thinking about it. But I didn't know that he had written that to you till yeah. he shared that with me years later. Yeah, so. he talked about. Paducah and dipping dots and yeah. playing golf and yeah, <laughs> yeah. so but those are the yeah. those are the special kind of relationships and bonds that you form if you give yourself a chance and just well as the over word overused word surrender right you know give yourself a give yourself a chance and give Mar a chance to work with you yeah. and um, just be willing and and you know open-minded and you know and part of it you know maybe because uh, it was my third treatment and you know I was running out of time and you know I I got out when I got out of my um, first treatment the first TL on my very first treatment was for my son's my youngest son's first birthday and the first TL I got out on when I was here at Mar was for his high school graduation. So I'd been fighting it for, for that long. And um, so, you know, it just comes a time we just got to give up mm-hmm. and realize you're just not going to do it and you've just got to let these guys in. And um, that's where the recovery part of it comes from, the other people. And what great relationships you have with your sons, too. Oh, I know it, yeah. you got really some great kids, too. Yeah. It's so cool. I love how you both know each other's kids and, like, that. This <laughs> there's so many, like, connections that you can't even, you know, this isn't that just to 
evidence is the thing. This is a lot more than just about stopping drinking. Right, right. And my kids, there's not a time I'm not with them that they don't ask how Rich is doing. I mean, even though we may not see each other physically, I know he's there. Yeah. You know, and I know David's there, and, you know, I know it's just a phone call, um, you know, and so, uh, and I know Mars here. Yeah. So I guess wrapping up, is there any one thing, or it can be more than one thing that you pass on to people that are listening? And keeping in mind, it might be family members or potential clients. The, the thing that I think that, that any newcomer has to be willing to do is to be willing to do anything that's suggested to him when he comes here, no matter how much smarter he is and whoever's suggesting it to him. And uh, and get involved and let all that ego down. And I don't care how silly you think it is, you do it at the, to the best of your ability. And, and you get involved and you share and you don't lie. You, you keep stop lying and open it up. Everybody's been through, you know, probably a lot more than what you think you've been through. And, you know, we've all gone through it and we've gotten to the, we've, we've made it to the other side and there is a way out. But you got to damn hold on to this program. Hold on to your people that you uh, that are in here trying to save your ass. Yeah, they get paid to do it, but they ain't getting paid a lot, and they're here to help you. So that's about what I'd say. And and to, to play off that just a little, I mean, what what the that group of four or five guys, you and Hank or Hank and the other guys did up at the lake, same similar situation. I mean, you mm-hmm. had a dentist. You had Roger was a doctor or a dentist. Yeah, he was a real doctor. He was a real doctor. Uh-huh. You had a cut. I mean, you had all these different people that. I mean, I like Hank it. said, all all Hank knew to do was to swing a hammer because he didn't have any. But they all did this stuff, and but they were willing to. They showed up every Wednesday when they were supposed to, and whatever Donnie or whoever asked them to do. They did. Um, Built a house at the end of it. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The house you know, it wasn't successful for everybody, but it was successful for a lot of them. I mean, if you look at it from a, I'm guessing Roger's still with us. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so I, I agree with Rich. Just, you know, showing up and faking it. Because like I said, I'm, I shared this before. You know, first year and a half for me, I was sober. Well, I just didn't drink. And I didn't have a sponsor, didn't it? But I was here and I was around it and around it. And that's what finally ended up happening was I kept seeing all these people getting it and with sponsors and putting time together. And I wanted that, but I was miserable. And so, but it was hanging around all these people that got me to that point where it was like, well, maybe I should do something. Down to us. And I've never, I've never been in a group, whether it's in an AA meeting, whether it's here at Mar where someone has shared something that was so bad or they in their minds thought was so bad no one else had ever done or experienced Mm -hmm. and they're so wrong yeah there's in my experience there's always a story that's worse than mine yeah and 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 mine could be worse if i continued but i once it took a while to get to that point you know that ego of mine but Mm -hmm. once i got the first one, then it was just like it, it's. It became easy mm-hmm. or easier. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. You're so afraid of sharing that one or two two things, and it's like you know you're doing it. Somebody that's sharing it, or you know you're you're doing your fourth and fifth step, and it's like, is that all? Yeah, is it, you know, and you think it's the worst thing in the world, and and um, you know, you get then then you you share that, and you get that acceptance. Mm-hmm. And it's all it's all okay, but you know, you're the one that has to take that step yeah. and that risk to do it. And and in my experience, what I've seen over the years, it's it's much harder for professionals like you guys. I mean, uh, anybody who's licensed, whether it's a doctor or an attorney, a dentist. I mean, well, the problem, the the issue with that, the the big issue is is that we're all in groups together. And, you know, there's like Wednesday night that there's, you know, 30, 40 dentists that are together. And, and you don't want to admit something to your peer or in a group of your peers. Um, it's just so hard to do. And whether it's dentists, doctors, whatever, your group 
of guarded. your peers. You're just, mm-hmm. you know, that's those are the ones you're most guarded against in there. And if yeah. you're total group of total strangers, then it's a little easier because they don't really know you. But mm-hmm. you get around your own your own peers, and it's uh, it's it's very hard to do. Yeah, that's that's big stuff because your livelihood, your career, all that is mm-hmm. on the line, or feels like it's on the line, whether it's whether it is or isn't. But right. like in your you know, if they find out about this and this gets back to the wrong person. Yeah. Um, what about you, Hank? What's something you would pass on? Because I always end. So, gosh, part of it, it's 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 so hard to not be cliche-ish <laughs> or not be Mark Kool-Aid-ish uh, in there and, and, you know, pass the company line. But it's like Rich was saying, it's just it's the willingness. And, you know, like I said earlier, you've just you got to stay and let these people help you, you know, and, and regardless of, you know, what you think they are here to help or they wouldn't be here. Cause like Rich was saying, it's, you know, there's not enough money in the world to pay the salaries of the people that what they do. And, you know, it's, it's not, they're not here for the money. That's for sure. And, um, but it's so hard to realize that to start with, that's why it's so important to stick around and not and then stick around and also to get involved and stay involved um when i left when i started back to work um i went um i practiced down in stockbridge georgia which is down way down there below the airport and it was so far away from here and so i got involved with mar south real big for um over a year uh in there but that's the stuff you've just got to stay involved with and it it keeps you grounded it reminds you of who you are you know it um uh it it's just just so important um and then for the you know the parents and the spouses and and the loved ones and the children it's be patient you know it's not gonna happen overnight and there's going to be a lot of changes and there's going to be a lot of scary times, but just hang in there also and trust, trust in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I go to uh, my home group every Friday morning and the guy that called me out so bad that years ago was uh, my sponsor. He's been my sponsor for years, but uh, the one that fired you from AA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it took him a while for he uh, would do that because he, he said, you know, ask me in a year, maybe <laughs> he's a, he's a tough guy. <laughs> so. What about you, Dave? What's one thing you would pass on? Everything to me just keeps coming back to the, that whole community concept, you know, um, both these guys have said it sticking around, you know, um, that famous Doug Lush, Doug Brush line, don't leave before the miracle happens. I mean, it's true. I mean, my miracle burning bush, whatever you want to call it, took a year and a half. I was around these guys. I was faking it. I was pretending to do stuff. I was going to meetings, but, you know, I just, you know, like I said, if I would have just left and gone somewhere else, it, it wouldn't have been good. Um, you know, and I wouldn't have had these relationships. Um, so I said, you know, with the exception of, you know, the relapsing and even with that, like I said, I still have friends that just haven't been able to maintain over the years, over 25, 30 years, but yet we still communicate if they're not, if they haven't passed. Um, but like I said, just all of us being together, all of us having a common goal, you know, just, I guess that would really be the biggest thing, community. Um, and, you know, obviously giving back because that's what's, you know, kept me around for so long. But um, So trust me, you know, I said it before and I'll say it again. I'm, I come here and I've stayed here for so long because I'm a selfish person. I've helped so many people. They tell me I've helped them, but they've helped me more than I've helped them. So that's great. Yeah. And for the record, I love you guys. I'm glad you're in my life. You learn to 
You learn to tell people that when you get to be Rich's age. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you get to Rich's age, you forget you told people. <laughs> You're a month older than me, don't you forget? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I forgot I'm the youngster yeah. in the room. Yeah. I'm real young. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. too, man. I, this has been important. It's, it's been good. I'm glad I was invited. And I'm, I'm glad you guys came. Yeah. Yeah, yeah thank I'm, you. I feel honored to just to I'm be I'm glad here. I found something to wear. Yeah, you look good. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our show is co produced by Angela Edmonds, and our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.